This season, this Thanksgiving season, has always been a very special time of year. As I mentioned, seasonally, summer is gone. Fall is going because winter is coming. Anybody know when the first day, official first day of winter is? Tomorrow. Winter begins officially tomorrow. Didn't know if you knew that. A little bit of trivia for it. Uh, but as we transition from one of these to another, we are blessed with this incredible beauty of all the changing colors around us. But it, it is also special because this season has always held a spiritual meaning as it culminates on Thanksgiving Day, which of course is this next Thursday. Let me give you a little bit of history. It's well known that the first Thanksgiving Day was celebrated by the Pilgrim Fathers in 1621. 1621. And it was to give thanks to God for their first winter in the new year, in the new world rather. It was first recorded as a proclamation three, uh, two years later in 1623 by Governor Bradford of Massachusetts. And let me read to you what he said. You're going to appreciate that. Well, maybe you won't, but this is old English. So listen to what he said. Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forests to abound with game, and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has spared us from pestilence and disease, he has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, remember he's a governor, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and ye little ones do gather at the meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock there to listen to ye pastor. Well, pay attention, okay? <laughs> and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for his blessings. I, I could appreciate that. A little wordy, wouldn't you say? But it's there. I mean, the message is there. But it was later, probably, well, what about, oh, a little over 160 years later, that President George Washington also issued a thanksgiving proclamation. And he said, whereas... It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, he said, I do recommend next to be devoted by the people of the states of, to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all, that, all good that was, 
all good that is and all good that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. Isn't that special? 72 years after that, <laughs> um, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the fourth Thursday of November to be the official national day of Thanksgiving. And it was later ratified by the United States Congress. So for the last 400 years, my friends, giving thanks to God through prayer at this time of year has been the calling on every person who lives in this country. And for that reason, this morning, we look to Psalm 100 to guide us in fulfilling those decrees. Would you turn there, please, with me in your Bibles, Psalm 100. Follow with me as I read it. I, your version may be a little different from mine. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Verse 1, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Short but powerful, only five verses. Many of our study Bibles may today uh, cite this psalm as the key chapter in the entire book of Psalms because it is a call to worship that describes the fundamental purpose of all 150 psalms. Charles Spurgeon said this is the only psalm bearing the precise inscription, a psalm for thanksgiving. It is ablaze, he said, with grateful adoration and has for this reason been a great favorite with the people of God ever since it was written. I would say it, uh, when I read this and I, I kind of take it apart in my own mind and heart, uh, structurally, it's amazing. If you look at the outline, is there an outline provided in your bulletin? Okay, take a look at that thing. And if you look at that, you'll notice that there are two similar major points to the psalm, and they're arranged in parallel. This is done to emphasize the big idea of the call to give thanks to God through the Word of God. Each of those points has two subpoints, an A and a B, that has several inclusive elements, and, but they are all designed to present a complete call to thank God for his blessings. But I also want you to see something else that is just really special here. Despite the fairly rigid structure, the, the psalm also paints a beautiful, flowing picture of a worshiper coming, an Old Testament worshiper coming to the temple to give his thanks. And what an example it presents for us. Back in the 1970s, uh, a man, a very unique man named Judson, Judson Cornwall, 
Um, he, a notable Christian. Let me tell you a little bit about Judson Cornwall. Many of you probably haven't heard too much about him, and he's rather obscure in Christian history. He was born in 1924. He died fairly recently in 2005 at the age of 81. But this man was saved at a very early age and began his preaching um, ministry at the age of seven. So for 74 years, Judson Cornwall traveled around the world preaching and teaching and instructing. He wrote 50 books, all of them primarily oriented to this idea of um, worship and, and gaining intimacy with God through personal worship. He wrote three of what are called classical Christian works now. Uh, the title of one is Let Us Worship. The title of another one is Let Us Praise. And the title of the third classic is The Elements of Worship. And behind all of his studies and his lifelong commitment to share his learnings with uh, Christians around the world concerning worship and, and coming before the Lord and that intimate, uh, encouraging and growing in that intimate relationship. He developed a, an entire theology of worship, and it was from this psalm, and he called it a journey into the holy of holies. And it goes something like this. Picture in your mind, if you will, an Old Testament believer Test, uh, tend, uh, tending his sheep outside the gates of Jerusalem. Go to verse 1. At the appointed time, probably at the uh, blowing or the announcement of a shofar, you know, the ram's horn that calls people's attention. He shouts joyful to the Lord because it's time to go to the temple to meet with God. And it's, it's already stirring things up inside of him. Verse 2. He begins to worship God in his mind and heart before he even makes a move. That word serve in verse 2, I don't know if any of you have the word worship in there, but that would be very appropriate because the Hebrew word abad is translated worship 14 times in the Old Testament and points forward into the New Testament with, with that same word that the Apostle Paul used, serve, when he mentioned that in Romans 12:1, and he said, I urge you, therefore, boy, um, uh, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See it? So if you have that word serve in, in the beginning of verse 2 and here in Psalm 100, it, it means the same thing. It means to worship. And it's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. It's a mirror from the Old Testament to the New. And there are many of those. But back to our, our flowing story that comes out of this psalm. The worshiper then goes directly to the temple with joyful singing to present himself to God. How does he get there? Verse 4. He enters the gates of the city with thanksgiving and he goes to the courts of worship where he can be as close to God as he can get. So despite the rigid poetic structure, 
The psalmist paints an intimate, emotion-filled, moving portrait of one who joyfully takes himself into the presence of God with a determined desire to give him thanks for his many blessings. But I want to take you to the heart of this psalm now because there are two crucial truths that I, I believe will excite joy in you this Thanksgiving season. Truth number one, knowing the greatness of God inspires joyful thanks in a true believer. Knowing the greatness of God inspires joyful thanks in a true, true believer. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist uses really two words, Lord and God, to clearly establish who gets our praise. The rest of the sentences, it just simply clarifies our place in the universe and also our relationship to him. He is the Lord God. He made us. We live in his presence. He is our shepherd. And it brings us great joy to know that we belong solely to him. Yes? Yes. The word God translates from Elohim. And it's formed from a root word, which means the all-powerful, uncreated, wrap your mind around that one, Eternally self-existent creator of all things. The all-powerful, uncreated, eternally self-existent creator of all things. When you read the first chapter of Genesis, I want to show you this. Turn back there with me now, just very briefly. Genesis chapter 1. We see that only the name God, Elohim, is used to describe the one that never had a beginning, will never have an end, and who exclusively holds the power to create and sustain all that exists. Look at verse 1, God created. Look at verse 2, God was moving. Verse 3, God said. Verse 4, God saw. Verse, uh, God, God separated, God called, God said. If you go through this entire chapter, all the way to chapter to a little bit into chapter 2, it's always God who did this, the Elohim God, the uncreated, eternally self-existent creator. So what we, what we discover here, that as he never had a beginning and never had an end and exclusively holds the power to all that he has done, he needs no one and no other uh, authority to answer to or to sustain his dominion over all of creation. Greatness belongs only to our God. Not a sports figure, not a celebrity, not a, nothing. It only belongs to our God. He owns it all and he is worthy of every word of our praise. I'm getting chills when I'm just trying to not speak it, but just understand this concept. It's only when you get to Genesis 2 that we are introduced to this phrase or this form, Lord God, that we see in Psalm 100. That name, Lord, Jehovah, is formed from that Hebrew, Hebrew word, uh, Hava, and it refers to, his, to God's intention to have a deep, 
and loving relationship with we who have been created for his glory. Jehovah God wants to know that you know him because he knows you. And we know that because in chapter 2, verse 4, it's always now Jehovah God. Look at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. This is the chapter, if you'll recall, where God created man. In verse 7, he man formed man from the dust of the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This is the chapter where he, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. Why? This is where God created mankind. And, and, and he did that through the, through the principal part of his name, Jehovah God. Why? Because he wants you to know him as he knows you. It's incredible. It's just amazing. He said in Isaiah 43, verse 21, and the people, the people that I formed for myself will declare my praise. The two names, back to Psalm 100, Lord and God, then go together to form impeccable credentials of greatness that make him worthy, of, as we sang, of, of all the praise and the thanksgiving that we can give him beyond every other being in existence. Only he is great. Only he sets the standards for every life. Everything looks to him. And with that said, we now come to the second tru tru crucial truth of our text this morning. Knowing the goodness, we learned about the greatness of God, the greatness of God that inspires joyful thanks to a true, in a true believer. But now it's knowing the goodness of God inspires joyful thanks in the true believer. That expression, the Lord who is God, describes the one who stands in a covenant relationship with his people. This is the one who has closed the gap between himself as the eternal self-existent God and every human being who responds to him in faith. He's closed the gap. How did he do that? How did he close the gap? He did it by making a series of divine promises called covenants down through the history of mankind. And these promises revealed in Scripture form the, the backbone of Jehovah's connection to us. We need that. Why? Because as sheep of his pasture, it's impossible for us to secure our own physical and spiritual future. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't do it without him. We need him and we need his goodness. It is said that between the years of 1500 B.C. and 1860 A.D., more than 3,000 years, there have been 8,000 8, covenants made between nations to secure their peace and their safety and their civility. You know how many of them are still in effect today? None. Not a single one. The average life of all of those 8,000 8, promises was only two years. 
Since 1919, there have been more than 200 treaties made between nations to try and secure a certain and peaceful future. Today, not a single one is still in effect, except for the covenants and the promises of God. Mankind would have no physical or spiritual security at all. The covenants of God, then, are the, is the glue that holds together his plan for humanity. There was the Edenic covenant, come from the word Eden, the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. God secured our physical future there. He created the world and he gave it to man and he said, here, it's all for you. Take care of it. I just have one exception. There's a tree there. And if you partake of the fruit from the tree, you will then have your eyes open and you will have knowledge of good and evil. Up until that time, man had no knowledge of evil. He didn't need it. He walked with God. What happened? Well, you know what happened. The temptation was too great, the, food, the, the, the fruit looked too good, and Adam and Eve, his wife, partook of the fruit and fell from grace, fell from the approval of God. A sad day. But then comes the next covenant. This is called the Adamic covenant. In Genesis 3.15, God secured our spiritual future, and it was in the first prophetic announcement of the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Does that bring you joy? God didn't just leave us out there. He said, no, I love these people too much. I'm going to recover them through this new covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised his people land, descendants, and redemption. And it would come in the future, but only by the promise and by the timing of God who cannot fail or lie. And then came the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy 30. And I want to just show you the nature of these covenants that God made. So if you have your, uh, turn back, have your Bibles, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's just take a look at this for a second. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Beautiful words from, from God instructing his people, Israel. In chapter 29, he made the statement, I'm going, to give, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And then in chapter 30, he does that. Look at verse 3. Or let me just start at verse 1. He, uh, so it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons. Listen, verse 3. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. He's going to bring it back together. He's going to secure the physical future. Look down at verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And in that covenant, God restored the spiritual well-being of his people this is what covenants are comprised of. 
the expression, the illumination, the presentation of God's special love for his special people. In, Israel, in, in Old Testament, it was for the people of Israel. He has said to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Today, and we're going to get to this, it's in the New Covenant. He has made those same promises to those. Why? How do we know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? So loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the love of God that spreads itself all through all of these testaments. Look at, the la- look at the last two verses of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Verse 19, the challenge. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death and blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live and your descendants, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. That's a covenant. And after that covenant, the Palestinian covenant, came the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. And finally, there was the new covenant. The covenant that we acknowledge and, and, and come before at, at least once a month in, our, in a new, Tem- new Testament church when we share communion together. It's the new covenant, Jesus said, in my blood. But back in Jeremiah 31, God said, this is the covenant in which... I will put my law within them and I will write it on their heart and I will be their God and they will be my people. I hope that gives you so much comfort this morning and I hope because of the goodness of God that it inspires you to want to give him thanks for that. This promise became the hope of all people through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. With his death on the cross, the confident expectation of eternal life has been made available to everyone by faith. The eternal self-existent Lord God is worthy of all praise. He has closed the gap with man. This is the covenant-making God, and this is the covenant-keeping God. Rejoice and give thanks. You're in good hands with the Lord himself who is is God. And so you can be inspired because of the greatness of God and because of the goodness of God. He has promised a Savior who would deliver mankind from their sins. He has promised to send the Holy Spirit. He has promised a new life in Christ for those who would believe. He has promised us eternal life. He has promised to adopt us as his children. He promised to preserve us, to bless us, to forgive us, and to perfect us in holiness. Doesn't it fill your heart with joy? When the psalmist said in verse 5, we're finally there, the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. He gave the whole earth good reason to shout joyfully to God. We should worship him with gladness and come into his presence with joyful singing because our Jehovah Elohim has made us his people and out of his goodness and love and faithfulness, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, but will provide, will protect, and will preserve us by his everlasting loving kindness. Do you believe that this morning? I'm out of breath. Can't stop. 
We need fear nothing, my friends. We need fear nothing. Only to believe in him and live faithfully. Trusting in his gracious covenant promises. Do we have much to be thankful for? Oh, yes. For we do not live in uncertainty, despite uncertain times. There are always uncertain times. Our future is secure in the hands of our great and glorious and good God, even while we live in the midst of an insecure world. So lift up your heart, lift up your voice, and rejoice. Give thanks and please, please, please have a most happy and joyful Thanksgiving week. Let's pray. Our Father God, it is our unparalleled pleasure to come into your presence this morning with Thanksgiving, being inspired by your greatness and your goodness and having the opportunity to do it in corporate fashion in your church to love you corporately this way and to unite our hearts and, and have our, our, our personalities knitted together by this one purpose this morning to look forward to that one day that has been declared in our country as the day to give you thanks, to recognize these things that are true about you. So, Father, I pray that as we have looked to this short psalm this morning that that you have provided, been inspired by the Spirit, that we would find ourselves in jubilation, that we would find ourselves in thanksgiving, that we would more than abundantly desire to give you praise, to be in awe of you, and to be in adoration of the great things that you have done. No one else can do them, and we are the recipients of all of them. Bless you, Father God. These things came to us at the cross. In fulfillment of that new covenant, they came to us in fulfillment of the promises and the need that each one of us has. So thank you.